Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast when a pair of pastor scholars dig into the Word of God using a scripture passage taken from the Revised Common Lectionary. I'm your host, John Drury. I teach systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary and Indiana Wesleyan University. My guest this week is Absin Joseph. Absin is professor of New Testament as well as dean and vice president of academic affairs uh, at the seminary where I work. So he's my friend and my boss and my colleague, and I love discussing the scriptures with him. So I'm so glad to have him back on the show, especially because our text this week comes from James, and he is a expert in the so-called general epistles, including James. His first book was on 1 Peter, but he has a commentary on James coming out with Seedbed, I believe later this year in 2021. So yeah, so he is a James scholar and we're very excited to have him here on the show this week. Our text is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. James 2, 1 through 17. Nice long chunk of text and we dip into the rest of the chapter as well. So really focusing on the whole of James chapter 2. If you're enjoying the show while you're listening today, uh, make sure to hit the share button on your podcast player app of choice so that you can pass this show along to others. It's a great way to get the word out about the show, and we'd appreciate that greatly. And if you're interested in becoming a patron of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways that you can support the show and become one of our patron saints. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Absin. All right, so we're looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. And uh, would you be willing to read the passage just Definitely. to get us started? Any translation you're choosing, what you got today? I've got What'd the you bring? New Revised Standard Version. There you go. Yeah. Good times. We'll go for it. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes come into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a sit here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, ah, stand there, or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love the neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. 
For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith and do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. The Lord of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that you are the one from whom every good and perfect gift flows from above, including the gift of your law. You are the one who said both uh, do not murder and do not commit adultery. And you are the one who executes justice. And you are the one who shows mercy. And your mercy is just and your justice is merciful. And so as we enter into this text together, I ask that in accordance with your uh, wisdom and your favor and your justice and mercy that you would grant to Absent and I and all those listening in ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches both then and now. And most importantly, that we would not be mere hearers but doers also of the word. And so we ask that even though in this hour we're mostly doing the work of hearing, uh, that that would be guided by your Spirit to bear fruit in good works, so that we might not have a dead faith, but a living faith. So Father, I ask these things now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So what jumps out at you today in this famous passage <laughs> yeah this passage is very rich there's a lot there's a lot in it um, and the first I think we can talk about is um, James trying to help the believers learn how to live together as a community the thing that he's addressing here is happening uh, at the table yeah so in a way we may not think about or we may we may think Corinth was the only place who was dealing with issues of challenges in the community, but this is the same thing that's happening here in terms of people coming together in worship in the context of the uh, early church worship the Eucharist is part of it mm-hmm. eating together sharing a meal is part of it and there's discrimination that's happening here that's a good parallel that's at, very helpful. Uh, there's a discrimination that's happening here at the table. Uh, in terms of who gets to sit where, who gets to, and then eventually, then who gets to eat when. Yeah. Um, so that's you know the assembly, but you know if you notice one for five and have a seat here, the one you say stand there, sit at my feet. But it's it's uh, it's similar thing that's it's happening a giveaway here. Give away the seating. Yes. The seating chart, which mm-hmm. is your classic sort of honor game. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And then part of what's happening here is. When he talks about favoritism, the word favoritism, the etymology there is like one who takes face. Ooh, I missed that. You're right. So cool. you do not treat somebody based on their value. You do a double take and you're judging an appearance. Yeah. And then their appearance becomes what 
you judge them on. And then when now you talk about God who is not partial, God is one who doesn't take faith. So in the context of him teaching them about what you know how to become like Christ, so then he's targeting then the impartiality. It's another way that they they're being urged to become like you know to embody the way God treats one another, and then he's pushing against that here. The favoritism, partiality, that's the same word. Yeah. Uh, so prosopolame. Mm-hmm. That is a cool word because that face language came up just last week for our listeners uh-huh. in chapter one, where it talks about the mirror, looking uh-huh. in the mirror uh-huh. and seeing your, seeing your natural face. face. Yeah, the natural it's face. Weird... The face you were born with. Is that kind of yeah, what it is? Which of, would yeah. then have some connotation of your kind of externals, mm-hmm. God looking mm-hmm. on the out, you know, yes. versus the heart. Oh, so uh, just for a Greek geek out moment for my education and, and our listeners, if they enjoy it too. So the prosopon, I see that in the word. And then the, the late sias. That's the lambano. That's from lambano? That's from lambano. Okay. Yeah, that's from lambano. I see it yeah. now. Yeah. So who's taking face. Uh-huh. So you're, you're receiving one in accordance with how they appear. Yes. And face would be the whole front of a person. Yeah, exactly. The whole pre- the way they carry themselves, everything. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is really, I know that's just a little word study moment there, but that's very insightful. I wanted to ask about the gathering here. Is there any significance in the word choice in verse 2? It is synagogain mm-hmm. in the original, which were completely comfortable translating in the Gospels as synagogues, mm-hmm. because we see that Palestinian context. Sure. And when we see words like that in the epistles, we tend to translate it gathering, mm-hmm. understandably, because sure. we see it as these Christian gatherings. But in the case of James, I mean, we don't know for sure, but I'm sure you have some takes sure. on James, whether he's operating in a Palestinian context, whether he's operating perhaps even amongst Christians who might still be... Uh, I mean, there's this explicit Jesus language in verse mm-hmm. 1, so that's why it's a natural choice to make it gathering. But yeah. Is he also talking about synagogue behavior uh or am i reading too much in but no i because I, I would think some of his audience would still be synagogue participants yeah, I in don't, addition to gathering on the first day of the week with christians yeah i don't, I don't think you're reading too much into it the the reality of the early church is one where the early christians both when we say early christians we're thinking about both jews who are now operating both as Jews and Christians, mm-hmm. they didn't leave. Peter, Paul, they didn't stop being Jews. Right. They added the processes of what it means to now worship Paul, also. We see even participating Paul. in temple activities at the end of Acts. Yeah. Every time he goes back to Jerusalem, yeah. Yeah. even whenever he goes into a city, he first he goes... With the synagogue. He starts with the synagogue, he goes on the Sabbath. So you could definitely see the sort of intentionality and continuity by them using synagogue as as the idea of the gathering mm-hmm. just to signal that we're still doing um, even the Christian gathering is something that has a continuity so that even the Eucharist is a continuity. What becomes a weekly practice was the Passover meal that because of Jesus' promise, do this to remember me, then the the disciples now begin to do that, you know, on a weekly basis whenever they gather. Right. So that continuity is there. 
so then the translation then becomes a different reality in terms of words then take on meaning in social location. Yeah. So the meaning of the word might have evolved because then the Christian gathering will become slightly different because then if you're thinking about a synagogue, it will be very difficult if you have a Christian who was not a proselyte being admitted right. to the synagogue. Right. So the error goes one way. You may have the synagogue participants being part of a Christian gathering and it's still a synagogue, but then Gentile Christians who are not proselytes won't be allowed into that space. Yeah, so as we reconstruct James's audience, I wonder, you could see it, two possibilities come to mind for me, and, and correct me if I'm guessing wrong with what you said. This could be, in terms of how the wealth and riches map on to non-proselyte Christians and and those who are, so say you go to synagogue on was synagogue a, a, a what we would call Friday night then, or mm-hmm. is that a later development? Is that, would, would yeah, that have been it would be that and it, at the beginning of the, third, the beginning, at yeah, the beginning yeah. of the seventh mm-hmm. day, which is which is the evening. Mm-hmm. So you could see it one of two ways, and perhaps both. I'm wondering if there's any clues in the text to help us see one way or the other. Just while you're here to reconstruct this, that I could see it being, say, if you've got some wealthy or middle class or whatever Jewish Christians mm-hmm. who are behaving in favoristic ways in the synagogue mm-hmm. and then kind of slumming it with the poor on the first day of the week and kind of this disconnect. You know, you need to be behaving with integrity even at the synagogue. But you could also flip it the other way. You could totally see especially since some of the Gentiles, in, if this is in Palestine, mm-hmm. Gentiles might be wealthy. They might be the wealthy ones that are sort of getting treated with special privilege mm-hmm. when the Christians gather mm-hmm. and maybe even justifying that in their hearts because, well, we don't even get to do the other thing. Is there any evidence from what we know of the first century that the, the wealth patterns, rich and poor, mapped on at all to the Jewish and Gentileness, or was it all mixed up? It's, and is it's, there no yeah, it's all mixed pattern. Yeah, it's all mixed up because it's it's um even in this passage here, rich and poor, James is doing something very interesting with it, with those concepts. They mean wealth, but they don't mean wealth. It's a posture in life. Oh, okay. The language that he's doing, like he, the even, first description, he doesn't use the word rich. It's a description of their their prosopon. Exactly. Exactly. So ah. he's. It's not just wealth at this point, and you have to be very careful when you read James because he uses the same terms, but he doesn't mean the same thing every time. Okay. And that's part of what he is doing here because uh, the rich is the proud, ah. so that even somebody with little means can behave as a rich person. Because it's it's someone who comes in ostentatiously. It's ex- what verse ex- two is all exactly. About. It's it's the it's the way you conduct yourself. And it could be of. someone with wealth who is who has chosen solidarity with the poor and is dressing more humbly. Exactly, and in might that, come in the door. And in that case, ah. and in that case, it's your humility. The humility again. There were rich people in the room. There were poor people in the room. And later on, when he talked about 14, he's definitely now talking about haves and haves not. Yeah. But then those who have, but then are in solidarity, those who have and understand God's rule over their lives, those are poor in spirit. 
you may have those who do not have poor people lack of resources but hmm. do not accept or behave otherwise mm. and then they slot them with within what James will call reach the proud who who do not receive and in the context of James James began with the 12 tribes in the dispersion yeah and i think this is very important here because i think it's really difficult to tie down That's right whether it is a Palestinian context or whether it is a Greco-Roman context, and I think it's both, and the letter will have fit in either context okay. because he intentionally is, and he and Peter is doing are doing similar things. And yeah, when you think given this, what we know about James, he's most likely writing from sort of Palestinian from, context, he, and so even his imagination of what's going down in Antioch or whatever exactly is going to be shaped by that. But he's. He's presenting this as a broader audience. As a as broader a, audience. As a circular letter, likely. Mm-hmm. Right? Would that be yes. fair to yes, assume that's, since that's there's no specified... Yeah, that, yes, that's definitely... So this could have very much been a kind of, you know... I mean, not, I'm not saying James is the first pope or anything, but it's like a, a pastoral encyclical, a, an official letter mm-hmm. that would have been passed and made its way all around the Greco-Roman world, hence being written in Greek. And which is why we actually have okay, it. Because yeah. it was kept and circulated. It was just a local... Thing it would have been written to a specific presbyter mm-hmm. in Shechem to yeah. sort out some yeah. mess, yeah. which James may have written letters like that, and they've just been lost to time after the destruction of the temple and That's such. Possibly. I mean, yeah. although it might all just been word of mouth way of leadership, his local sure. leadership in Palestine might not have been by way of the pen. Yes, so yeah. It's, so it's no guarantee, but that's very helpful. Yeah, that dispersion stuff because the dispersion addressee in First Peter. But in the case of Peter, we know, at least from Acts, that he, you know, made his way beyond a kind of Jerusalem or Palestinian context. Yeah, and yeah. We don't have any reason to believe that's the case of James, although it might have been. Although it might have been. So, what, yeah, know. so the way I tend to picture it, we understand Paul's extent of travel because the person who's got the camera is following <laughs> okay, him. Okay, yeah. Um, so then in the context of, I, I always Rome as, use Rome as an example. Okay. The church in Rome is so established that he hopes that Rome can support him and that the letter to the Romans is a fundraising letter by a missionary who hasn't mm. even been there yet. Yeah. So people have arrived there before him, whom tradition may tell us Peter. So the extent of the travel of the they apostles... Could have been, they could have had a letter from James in their satchel, even if he himself, or maybe they even already, himself... They already have yeah. Acts 15. Yeah, that's right, that letter. That, right, letter course, have, that letter will have already... Re- we have two letters from James. <laughs> two letters from Let me correct myself. Yeah, yeah. That, that will have already reached them. So the, wow. the, the context of communication that's happening from the apostles is more complex and, and richer than what we tend to sometimes... Interesting. Give it credit for because we limit it to what we read in Acts and Paul, but it's just that the director's cut <laughs> is what we have. Release the Snyder <laughs> cut. <laughs> oh, <come on> now. <laughs> but I mean, if we had the full cut, exactly, we would have had a narrative of Peter's travels, exactly. Maybe James, mm-hmm. uh, John, likely these other key yeah. figures, many of which have made their way into tradition. Know with a lot of layers, we don't have. Yeah. We don't have properly ancient sources yeah. but having said ah, that okay. having said that James early martyrdom will have precluded yeah. to some of that so if we yeah kind of limit it within that context but 
the travel will have will have been possible. That's but, so helpful, just especially here because it's only our we're doing five weeks on James mm-hmm. this summer, and this is our second. Okay, so to kind of if this felt like an aside, dear listeners, uh, some of this is to slay the groundwork sure. for the last next couple episodes to we so we can operate with some assumption of the. A deep, this is a deeply Jewish book, mm-hmm. as is all the New Testament, but perhaps even more so to some extent. But it uh, clearly has a very wide audience mm-hmm. in mind, mm-hmm. how much he knows what's going on there. But he's probably hearing about it. Letters are coming his way, and he's catching wind of... I, man, the First Corinthians parallel is so darn obvious when you say it. But i got to be honest, I never noticed it before. It's like so <laughs> obvious. That's so, so yeah. helpful. Yeah, and there's a further description of the the, the rich in six, verse six, even yeah, as an oppressor, yeah, right? Be, so then that's the yeah. deeper stakes now. Because so he you know, the way he describes them, you know, people with gold rings, fine clothes, again, all of that is the outward appearance. And then the the table context, have you not made this co- uh, distinction among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Yeah. He's teaching them what not to become because only God is the judge. So yeah. you're taking God's place. On the one hand, you're taking God's place. On the other hand, you're doing it the other way than God would. Yep. Not just being a judge, a bad one. Because the only right judge is God, and He. this is not the way he operates. Though five, then, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? Because <laughs> Sounds God like actually, Corinthians too. <laughs> exactly. God, God doesn't treat yes. things this way. So at least if you will do that, then do it the way God would. Okay. If you will judge, at least follow the process in terms of how God uh, God does it. Uh, but you have dishonored the poor, and then, you know, is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Again, that's <laughs> where, that's where, again, I'm thinking um, you have something beyond the Palestinian context in terms of the rich, you know, dragging you into court. He's going to talk later on about that kind of dynamic in, in terms of dependence, self-dependence, and and um, the diaspora oh, context yes. of the marketplace people yes. in chapter what four or five yeah. are like, oh, I'm going to go here and go there. Ex- exactly, I'm a big shot. Yeah, and that language of blaspheme in seven that's strong. Um, are they not the ones blaspheming the good name by which you were called? Mm-hmm. For- What's that referring to? So, here is a larger context of what James is doing in terms of speech ethics. Yeah. So, here, part of what's happening here, he's using blaspheme very intentionally to talk about bad behavior. In James, sinfulness and bad behavior is expressed through speech. Mm-hmm. So that if you if you, if you go back to the... blaspheming earlier, yeah. If you go back to the earlier verses here... The way they express their uh, favoritism is through speech. If you mm-hmm. notice somebody wearing, and you say, "Have a seat here," ah. while you do, and to the other one, you say, "It's all being expressed through speech." Remember earlier, he talks about the tongue, the power of the tongue. Yes, speech control. So speech control is synonymous to holiness. It's the same tongue by which we. Praise God and blaspheme. Exactly. So this is later. this is all of that connected. So he's beginning this already here, so that the behavior of favoritism is expressed through speech, and he's going to then talk later on about correction in speech, so that where he then in twelve 
so speak and so act mm. as those who are to be judged. So the consistency of speech and action in 12, which is what he's going to then drive home in 14. Don't just say, be well and do good. Do something about it. Yeah. Speech and action. So then over here, the blaspheming excellent name, you are living like those who are blaspheming, those who are not controlling their speech. Oh, that's so good. And the way that then, the way that speech kind of mediates between mere belief and your action and the speech then becomes this kind of middle point between faith. Like, it's almost misleading to say that, like, the Bibles that put faith and works at the top of this. It's almost mm-hmm. faith, comma, speech, comma, works, or something like that, right? Speech is the we vehicle. The yeah, speech yeah. is the vehicle through which, uh, what I call here in terms of, like, people will talk about faith and works. But this is a misnomer almost. Because yeah. what he's talking about is active faith. Yeah, yeah, when you yeah. look at the language closely, he's not putting faith and works in the opposite, but he's saying not at all. your work, like, what are the works that are a natural outflow of true faith? And faith for them would be linked with confession, which would be done with the tongue, mm-hmm. versus blasphemy. And he seems to be implying either literal blaspheming or of the rich, but he might be meaning as much the sort of... Uh, metaphorical blaspheming of saying one thing and doing another. All of that is part of that. Yeah, all of that is part of that. And then in the context of kind of later on, part of the blasphemers is also those who say they don't need God. Right. 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 The self, self self-sufficient, self-sufficiency, which in, which is the epitome of I am my own person. I don't need God. Then, you know, you put yourself outside of his, um, of his, uh, care. Oh, this is so, so good. I'm learning so much. Let's take a quick break and come back and explore some more. Awesome. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with my guest, Absent Joseph. So glad to have him back on the show. We're looking at James chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Uh, long, a long chunk, uh, even for this series, that tend to be a little shorter. Although I'm very grateful because the, the material on faith and works here, when it's abstracted out from the context of the social relationships, it just becomes this abstract question of sure. the status of faith. But it's really, it's about, as you pointed out at the beginning, our social relations is the kind of context mm-hmm. in which the faith and works question yeah. emerges. Yeah. It's not an abstract question about salvation or something no, like that. No, Just no. It's also not for for Paul, though for him these questions were important, but but other ones shaped it too. So yeah. let me read the text again just so it's fresh sure. for our hearers. I just happen to have the ESV out, so I'll yep. pitch that. It's a little too long for me to attempt a sight read. So <laughs> and it's I'm a little I gotta be honest, I am a little intimidated to sight read in, in front of the front of the man but anyway uh here we go so uh, my brothers and sisters uh, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our lord jesus messiah the lord of glory for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say you sit here in a good place While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you would become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, thanks for that point, that's good, <laughs> says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Yeah, so I want to. I have so many questions for you, but I kind of don't want to. I, I want to ask you. Let me throw a few and you pick sure. one. So I'd love to hear someday, if not today, royal law, mm-hmm. God, that phrase royal law, mm-hmm. the language of law of liberty, which mm-hmm. we've already seen in chapter one, and then maybe also pushing in to the, to the, the next verses 18 through. Uh, 26, which are not on our schedule for this summer. So if there's anything you wanted to add from that section, because in some ways this whole chapter is one unit, those would be a couple directions we could go. So the way he talks about the law, I guess it's just two options. The way he talks about the law, royal, liberating, the notion of judgment, how how we're judged. Yeah. And then the the rest of the stuff and all the, the mess around how he interprets Habakkuk slightly differently than Paul and all that. So I I think with the royal law I I I believe this this may be uh, an influence of the Jesus tradition. Mm. This is him tipping his hat to Jesus. Of course, he is quoting the Old Testament, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We can't we can't ignore Jesus Christ when Jesus is in his teaching. Will say, you know, this is the greatest of the commandment. Yeah. So him wooting this, and and which is why he's saying, um, if you've missed this, you've missed everything. Although he uses two different commandments to make the case, adult, um, if you commit adultery, do not murder. But at the end of the day, both adultery and murder are. If you do this, that's because love is, love is absent. Yeah, and they're both part of the, the so-called second of, table, the, the laws that are regard relations between exa- neighbors. Exactly. Yeah. So, so this is then, a, he's making a classic, providing a, uh, an example of, of that which is, so then talking about the royal law and then going back now talking about the law of liberty, and I think this is part of a, the larger context of, again, 
I'm going to say Christian, both Jewish Christian or Gentile Christian, mm-hmm. looking at the law not in a way that's restrictive, but yes, the law has provided freedom, but do not use that freedom for evil. Right. So it's a it's a it's an intentional yes, it's the law of liberty, but that law of liberty still has accountability. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's one way that's one way of uh of of you know of reading that. Then when thinking about uh, Can I ask you something real quick yes, before you definitely. move on? And, and I don't know, I'm just curious, in the rabbis and, and Jewish literature of the time, if you happen to know off the top of your head, if not, we can move on, but is, is royal law, or it's, it's a funny phrase, it's, you know, basilicone law, you know, mm-hmm. same word for kingdom used yeah. a few verses earlier, yeah. the kingdom law, you could almost say, mm-hmm. but is that a standard term for like, because I know the, the debate of, you know, what's the, the greatest commandment mm-hmm. was not a narrowly Christian question. No. Though there was clearly a Jesus had a stand on that debate. Would this be a, a, a way of saying that or was it not a standard term? Is this kind of a I, I mean I, we only know so much about that period. So no, much has been lost so to time, but I, I don't have an exact answer for you. Yeah, what no I will say is in the context of the rabbis when they think there were multiple ways that they can talk about Yahweh and kingdom things without mm. because of the the name, right? So then the the law of the kingdom, with the law of the king. So that's why when so Jesus these would be some of these ways, some of these of ways of talking about and talking about God, who He is. So this it. is you know like the right law. hand of power, exactly. Mark. Just okay. kind of that maybe those kind of things that are happening here. That's why I say it's kind of a tip of the hat to Jesus's yeah. teaching. Because the, this is the new way of the kingdom. And he's talking about the law, but it's the reinterpretation of the law as Jesus Christ will have taught them, you know, in Sermon on the Mount and, and all of these different things. Yeah. So that's, that's partly why I think that's... that's uh, yeah, I'm suddenly thinking about in Latin how the word, and it's made its way into English, you know, a prince which means one, a principality mm-hmm, one, mm-hmm. it could even translate, I'd have to check the Vulgate, but it could translate king, can mean, you know, uh, it's only in modern times that we have this strict, you know, king and then prince mm-hmm, comes la- mm-hmm. lower. That's not really how it worked even in early modern Europe. But we also have the word of a principle, mm-hmm. you know, a first principle. And I could see how royal law could imply that kind of, sure. what's the principle law, the, the primary law, mm-hmm. the, the kind of one from which all the others the primary, flow. The primary one. Yeah. 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 Is it possible that that's some of it's the concept? That's there. Even yeah. if it's not in his mind, that's kind of how this language it, it, the emerged. The language you can't have the you can't have the <clears> same <throat> language here. So that's why I'm saying like one way is a tip of the hat to Christ. Yeah, because he's the one who's saying this is this is the most important of them all. So then, the, in this case here, the way you will interpret royal meaning, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, is the first one. Then everything else comes from it. So then, that's the primary, yeah. the primary rule. That's that can be read this way, definitely. Fun, because as you know, I'm sure, and most of our listeners would too. The the famous story of what is the greatest commandment emerges in different contexts mm-hmm. in Mark, Matthew versus Luke, mm-hmm. and that's one of the many. There are some cases where this doesn't solve synoptic troubles, mm-hmm. but there are many cases like that one where well. Jesus surely would have been asked this question many times. Yeah. And it's likely he might have been asked in different ways, with different and, terminology. And What's the greatest commandment? What's the principal commandment? Exactly. What's the kingdom commandment? Yeah, yeah. What's the royal... You know, and in, uh, there'd be in, lots of ways to to frame that question. 
And in Luke, as you just mentioned, and in Luke, the idea of the rich and poor is Show also there. there. Yes. Go sell everything you have. Mm-hmm. Everything I have done, mm-hmm. right? Everything I have done, all. He, he, here's the list. It's I have all- done everything. Am I a disciple? Of course. Go sell all you have, sell it to the poor, come back and follow me. Good eye. Oh, so that, that's in the background here, uh, I think, as well. In terms of that 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 relationship of um, of things, well, that's very helpful to me. I, this text is popping wide open with more greater clarity. And, for and me. I mean, even if you allow me, in the context of plusioi, like rich and poor mm-hmm. and all of that, the economics are also in fourteen. The word that's here translated, "What good is it?" Most most English translation will translate it, "What good is it?" It's a Ooh. it's a it's an economic term. What what profit? <laughs> yes, I see it. What benefit is it to you? But benefit's still not. That's too generic. It's too generic. But so what? What profit? Like, what does it profit you? Yeah, Ophelos. I mean, this would be. This is the term used just off the top of my head doing a brain word study in John six. The the flesh availeth nothing, or profiteth nothing. Oh wow. So this would be the term used in economic context for if you were to make an investment mm-hmm. and if it would which if it would go well. Yeah, which ties with later on the mm. idea of the, the, the rich and poor when he picks it up later on. Those are building riches and, and then thinking I can do all of that on my own without God's God's help. And uh, so that that kind of language is already being picked up which here. Which links back to inheritance language back in five. Uh-huh. Verse five, uh-huh. right? Yep. To be rich in faith. Which, if all you have is that, that can sound, in modern parlance, kind of pat. Well, you're poor, but you know you're rich in faith at least. You know, whereas here it's it's got this larger context, rich in faith, which implies a trust and a hope of something to come, and to be inheritors of the kingdom, mm-hmm. which is promised to those who love him. Mm-hmm. So it's back to that dependence. Yeah, it's the heart of. Spiritual poverty is that dependence on God, the Father of lights, from whom every good, every good, every good things come. So yeah, there's all the stuff we try to do to produce our own profits yeah. and hoard for ourselves. But the real profit, you know, is to be rich in faith. Here in fourteen, I'm seeing a close mm-hmm. link to fourteen. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be a better profit to be, uh, you know, faithful to the Father of lights, who will give you the whole kingdom? Everything that's good, and in yeah. context of if we if we go back to the idea of diaspora, diaspora raises imagery of you know exile, wilderness, and it raises imageries of, in a way, um, those who are in the dispersion, they're in a precarious situation. Whatever the social reality may be, mm-hmm. if you are dispersed, it means you're not home. That's, again, why hospitality becomes a very important yeah. thing. He's going to now use Abraham as a result. I, I know you you hinted at you know what, what goes on later on. What does it mean for you to be in need, but to, in spite of those needs, to rise above yourself and provide hospitality to another? So that Abraham, ah. Abraham if he wasn't hospitable, will have completely lost the opportunity of receiving the promise. Later on, he's he's also going to use Rahab. And it's like, what does Abraham have to do with Rahab? Ah. Both of them are tied to their hospitality. So obvious when you say it. Both what? of them are tied to their hospitality, which again, 
both of them living out in a desert setting, welcomed strangers, strangers. weirdos, speaking different language, coming from another world. Exactly. Putting themselves in at, a, risk. at risk in doing so. So again, if wow. we go back to 2-1, then the normal <laughs> thing for us to do is to be kind to the people that are like us. By he, the face, I recognize, oh, you have the same skin as me. Of, yeah. Oh, you're around the same class mm-hmm. as me. Or you're very wealthy. You're very wealthy. Me. Me. So we yeah. can do that very easily. But yeah. then these it's, not are- accredited to, <laughs> it's not accredited to Abraham as righteousness that he was hospitable to Melchizedek. I mean, that's nope. important. But you, know, you don't get any credit for that. Because <laughs> nope. that doesn't require any faith. It's the faith that... So then this language of faith versus sight becomes crucial to the works <laughs> of the gospel, which is to see with the eyes of faith that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And so I don't have to look at the face yep. and look for safe, familiar, or wealthy it, who can bless me. Yes. It's not enough that you do it. Whom do you do it for? Yeah. How do you go about it? From what posture? And what's the reason why you do it? Because if you do it, because they are hospitable. To some, those who Hospita- look like them. Hospitality to strangers. To strangers. Which is implicit in the Greek term for hospitality, yes. right? Phloxenos. Yes. yes, Love befriending strangers. Strangers. But that word hospitality has been so spoiled in modern, mm-hmm. uh, at least modern North American parlance. It's so built around. Yeah. And I call that entertaining, which is fine. It's not evil and wrong, but it's not... It, it doesn't accredit you anything. <laughs> what profit is it? What yes. profit is it if you only entertain those who are um, likened unto you and mm-hmm. those who can do you favors back? Be- because reciprocity settles the score. Yes. Right? Yes. Reciprocity se- settles the score. What does it mean to do for those who cannot pay you back? Because that's what's countercultural. That's, that's Jesus' that's, own teachings. He makes that exact same point. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And then in in fourteen sixteen, you almost kind of connect to to one, maybe conjecture, but Go ahead. if a brother or sister is naked, which is the the opposite of those who come in fine clothes into yes. one, and you say to them, "Go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill," yet you do not support to their uh, supply to their bodily need. What what's the good of that? Again, talking clearly now about perhaps not just covering their clothes, covering their bodies with clothes, but also feeding. So mm-hmm. while we say, you know, there's a, there's a, the texts, most translations put a paragraph between 13 and 14, but there's a way in which 14, 17 connects Absolutely. to 2, 1, because he goes back again to the context of worship Together, the person is not just knocking at your door, but it's a Christian of lower means who comes together in a gathering of Christians. And maybe because you tell him stand there, he didn't get to eat anything at all. And he's leaving the worship time together now without having been fed, which again is part of what Gosh. was happening. First, first Corinthians. First Corinthians. Yeah. So I say all this to say that the reality of the challenges of the church church members living together, Christians living together, wasn't restricted to the city that Paul addressed it. These were the first people who say, 
Apostle Paul, this is a problem. Can you address it? And yeah. it's still being addressed here, perhaps, in even in this context. How ironic, given that this is the chapter where we tend to say, to drive a wedge between Paul and James. James. so frustrating. I don't think it's yeah. there. I yeah. don't think it's there at all. Yeah, at best, at least uh, you tell me if this take sounds right. I mean, at best, when James uses faith, he sometimes, not always, but sometimes in this chapter uses it in its narrow sense of mere belief. Mm-hmm. And Paul would agree, mere belief won't save you. Right? It's always an energetic living faith, right? For Paul, of course. Mm-hmm. And But most of the times he uses faith, he doesn't use it that way. He's almost being sarcastic when he says that, the, that when the devils believe and they shudder. Well, yeah, but they don't put their trust in God. So really in terms of the apparent contrast is only surface level. It's only surface level. If you dig level. down, they have the same concept of faith as what it ought to be. They do, because um, because with James, it's not even mere belief. James has true faith and false faith. There you go. Back to blasphemy, back yes. to the appearance. So it's really just an appearance of faith, which Paul would agree with. That yes. That's just an appearance of faith. If you have faith that's not working by love, mm-hmm. Genesis, Galatians 5. Yeah. The true faith, the true faith will actually have good works that accompany it to make sure that it's actually genuine. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a surface difference. And it is a... I think there is some difference at the surface, but it's merely surface. I think the argument is headed in the same direction. Um, If you really believe in the justification... uh, Justification by faith, justification of the ungodly, justification by grace, flowing from God's election of the poor... To be rich in faith entails this kind of way of living. Mm-hmm. Paul and James are on the exact same page. They understand the same page. On on page. Yeah. And, and there is one thinking about, we, we tried to talk about the audience earlier. It is conceivable that James is addressing people who are like, I have faith, that's enough. Later on, he will say, Well, I have faith, you have works. Yeah. While you have others who are like, well, they, they're addressing both extremes, and both of them are bringing people to a healthy middle. We tend to forget sometimes that the letters were written to address very specific right. issues that are arising. Right. So from that standpoint, um, I, I mean, my my own, I can call it bias. I don't think James is like lo- looking at Paul's letter and saying, oh, let me offer a corrective here. That's nah. that's definitely not. But he might be correcting misapplication, misapplication, misinterpretation of a, because then they've gone to the other extreme, yeah. and it's like, uh, 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 let's come to a healthy middle here, because yeah. of what's happening. Because I mean, come on, it, it's not implausible that there were followers of Paul that that uh, there's evidence in Paul's own letters that some of them uh, mistook his teaching <laughs> as uh, in a libertine direction. You know, Paul himself has to correct that. The law of liberty. Right, yes. So, what does it mean to be true liberty versus an abuse of... I mean, you see it in Corinthian correspondence. You see it even between the first and second Thessalonian letters, Mm -hmm. where the language of work is just the literal sense of doing your job. No, you still have to go to work, just even though Jesus could come back any moment, you know. But there is something about Paul's... And Paul did write in it. I mean, Peter says it. Your your guy, Peter, says... uh, yeah, Paul's kind of hard to understand. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes he, you can miss in ways. Let me let me let me boil him down for you. But but the notion that that Paul would have just as there, Paul was reacting to 
uh, a kind of extreme yes. legalism that probably would have appealed to James as their authority. And their own people. Yes. And his own people. And yeah. So the tension's probably more between the application. When you really read the letters, there's a deep continuity. The, here. There's continuity. Yeah, I think and, that's fair. Um, well, another layer in, in terms of context, just, just to consider the similarity between James and Peter in that they address the dispersion, the idea of diaspora. Mm. James doesn't say that. You already talk about the circular, you know, cyclical letter. In in Peter, when he lists them, it's all of Asia Minor, yeah, which is the area where Paul established, mm-hmm. you know, the churches. So there is again issues of source and time, notwithstanding, we don't need to get into you know what was written first and all of that. The fact that the letters are circulated, it is conceivable that. You've got churches that receives Paul's letters and James, and trying to make sense of those. And I think then the 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 idea, I think the best way to look at it is again what I mentioned earlier, is that each of these are trying to address an extreme position mm. on how people have settled on these two extreme and trying to bring them to a healthy middle, each from a different end of that extreme. Yeah, because they're both invested in a reconciliation of Jew and Gentile, mm-hmm. of poor and rich, mm-hmm. of the nations, you know, yep. of having something. And they're working it from two different sides. Yep. That's yep. good. Well, let's yep. let's take a break and explore some sermon starters. Awesome. Well, we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at James chapter 2 through Chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. I'm here with my guest, Absin Joseph. On the break, we I wanted to acknowledge uh, a very uh, gracious uh, correction from my brother. Fraternal correction uh, is, the, is, is a work of love. So, uh, <laughs> I referenced Habakkuk. There, there is no reference to Habakkuk in James. There is in Paul, and it's one of the many subtleties in their different mm-hmm. approaches to the interpretation of the great passage on being reckoned to Abraham as righteousness mm-hmm. from Genesis. They both quote that. And again, on the surface, there's some differences. And in, in terms of exegetical te- technique, there is some difference mm-hmm. between... They're, they're two different rabbis with different training. Jesus was... I mean, Paul was... Uh, you know, may have been trained by different people and had some different tricks, you know. And so the way that he... Uh, brings Habakkuk in mm-hmm. is kind of part of what he's doing yeah, yeah. in Romans and in Galatians. Yeah. But uh, as you said on the break, you know, yeah, we don't have to get into all that. No. <laughs> so so let's explore some sermon starters. Where would you want to go with this? If you were asked to come preach a sermon on this, or if you wanted to offer uh, suggestions, recommendations yeah. to others, what, what would be the overall focus orientation, I, suggestions? I think the first one will we've mentioned it several times hospitality yeah a regain of of that I I heard you earlier in terms of mentioning the fact that this has gotten it's almost a lost art and in terms of the way people have dealt with it but now more than ever uh, what it means to be hospitable especially connecting that with speech ethics and uh. how the rhetoric of how people are using words uh, to hurt one another or even using words to create separation. If I agree with what you uh, have to say, then we can sit together. If I disagree with what you have to say, then we go we go yes. our separate ways. Uh, recognizing the power of speech, which is part of what James is after here. What does it mean to be hospitable in speech? 
Boy. Um, which, which will, <laughs> in the mm-hmm. age of social media, hospitality, which means welcoming those who are not like me, mm-hmm. and you know, filling the blanks in terms of what that's going to look like. But within this context, as we've mentioned earlier, people that are in diaspora have a ton of problems. Abraham was sitting by his tent thinking, I'm going to die and I have nobody to give this to. Mm-hmm. And he saw two strangers. At that time, being a stranger was the worst thing that can happen because you can't be trusted. Yeah, You're in danger against one another. That's why, you know, uh, Cain is like, you don't want to make me a wanderer. Anybody who sees me is going to kill me. And you see Abraham going and offering that hospitality, which is, again... In case we didn't realize it, when you see what happens to those strangers when they get yes. to Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot again is offering that hospitality. So it's a very dangerous thing. Rahab, it's a very dangerous thing. But for these people to kind of have enough fortitude and magnanimity to rise beyond their own problems mm-hmm. and to care for somebody who is in a vulnerable situation... So what does it mean then for us to be hospitable in that way? How do we embody that? And they themselves have had to depend on the hospitality of others out in the diaspora, likely. Exactly. Um, And that hasn't always gone well. And so the question is, am I going to turn around and be hospitable? Or am I going to uh, say, hey, no one took care of me, so you take care of yourself? Mm -hmm. Which is very tempting when when you've suffered abuse by Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very easy to be unaware of the needs of others because we're so absorbed in our own mm-hmm. troubles, you know? Yeah. Yeah, seeing them as a, a troubled community that themselves are strangers mm-hmm. in some sense. In some sense. As diaspora Jews and then double strangers if they be- joined the Christian movement. So now yeah. they're kind of outsiders both to mm-hmm. the Jewish world and the even if they're participating in synagogue, they may be seen as not. Yeah, why are you they, guys, Why are you going to that midweek meeting on 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 first day of the week? Yeah. Why are you going and hanging out yeah. with them? The, those wackos, those yeah. radicals, those people who think the Messiah already came. People. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got to admit, when I'm in a church and you know, I'm, I've got people who are. And let's be honest, we know this both statistically then, and we just know human psychology too and sociology that it's often the poor and downtrodden that are attracted to radical movements, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And I'm often, yeah, it's easy to kind of look askance at like people who are getting all it brings worked hope. up into some kind of radical yeah. movement though. Because they're looking for hope. They're looking yes. for, and this yeah. is a hopeful message, right? In terms of what, in terms of what that is. So I think that's, that's one. Um, we could also talk about, also give us eyes to see. Hmm. Especially back to the pros. That's, that was that's exactly where I'm going with that. The the and the God who doesn't take face. That's the yeah. literal translation of God who's impartial. He doesn't take face. What does it mean for us to see others the way God sees them, and to order our lives through that? One to not judge, but if you do, to actually then embody the way God does that and what does this look like and I think those two things are connected for yeah. hospitality to happen that uh, that needs that needs to then yeah happen. I'll never forget as a kid watching I wish I could find this clip it'd be a good video clip in a sermon actually some I can't remember what show some sitcom in the 80s when I was a kid 
it was some teacher and they had three they had four jobs that people do you know mm. like plumber businessman teacher whatever and he asked one of the kids okay what would you guess their income is mm. and the kid and it's a funny scene because then the kid goes up and like you know he puts the plumber at the bottom he's look at his dumb truck he like describes their cars mm. there looks at the face right and the car would be a, a symbol of that right mm. And then the teacher like surprises them with how how actually how much you know how well a, a plumber can do for themselves. It's a specialty. It's mm-hmm. a specialized skill, and they get paid pretty well. Mm-hmm. And just I mean that might not be a good video clip, but it's an example of that kind of like how we're so quick to sort of just in matters of seconds use the signals of race and class mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. determine what someone has to offer back to me. Mm-hmm. And then to ask, what does it mean to have the eyes of faith by which I can perceive the riches of faith in another, mm-hmm. right? To actually see to see those who have greater need as me, not merely as, although it says here to help, but it's not merely as objects yeah, of help, yeah. but as the elect of God. So, this is preferential option yeah, for the yeah. poor. So if you're going to look for a proof text for that concept, it's right here. Yeah. It's this God, God elects. Mm-hmm the the poor as his special as his own as his inheritors and so i count it a privilege to be connected to and interact with the poor i love that taking face it's such a fun image that you could really play with it Mm -hmm. depending on the focus and then then the hospitality becomes the application what does it mean because partiality i don't know what that word really even means we don't use that word in english enough for that to really catch yeah i don't think it catches as much i'm gonna i like that taking face and i i would be inclined to include the the whole chapter and talk about abraham and rahab and really highlight those i will think so because common elements it really is a unit really the whole chapter is a unit and it's uh Mm -hmm. object lessons these are the two object lessons of the case that he is making sidelight verse 15 that's naked right it's Uh good right i mean so like the notion of someone being naked, right? And some translations make it safe and say poorly clothed yeah. or without clothes. It's like, no, it's just the word naked. I mean, both the the shock of that mm-hmm. and the shame and the fear of getting associated with who's, you know, walking around naked, but also just the language of from Matthew 25 can't when help you... but coming to mind. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. naked and you clothed me. And you me. clothed me. You clothed me. So those close connections to some of those yep. Jesus stories is really powerful. Yeah. I would love to hear a sermon on this text that though it may make sideways glance to faith and works as a debate that would really just completely reframe that in terms of these social relations. Yeah. And that connection to 1 Corinthians would be so cool and and the taking face language is so powerful. I I I just love this notion of the eyes of faith helping us yeah. see people differently. It, it takes work and takes practice. It takes which is practice. Why it's faith working and by it love. takes it takes risks, right? Oh, so that, because again, if you allow me, this preaching that sermon that you mentioned mm-hmm. here will will require bringing in Rahab and Abraham, and just again for for the sake of the text, the inclusio. So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead in seventeen. And then 26, after he gives... There it is. So, just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. Mm-hmm. So, in the mind of James, 
that is that's just whole things together. So asking ourselves, what does this look like? Going back and then um, instead of teaching or preaching this in the context of James versus Paul, go back and check that, reframe it in the context of Rahab and Mm -hmm. Abraham and study their lives and see the risks that they take and what the hospital, because that tells you what he's trying to convey. And then allow that to actually be the story that guides the interpretation of what we think he's saying here. I think it changes the frame. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that's the... The Mandy Drury rule that we talk about here on the show now is the, especially because we've been doing epistles this year, is like, well, when you're in an epistle and if you're having a hard time shaping a sermon, like, well, if it makes a reference to an, a narrative in the Old Testament, go and grab it, go baby, back, and, and basically preach on that. You won't, you <laughs> basically take this almost as if this is your commentary <laughs> and that's your text. Yep. And, and I completely, I, that, Especially when it makes the reference. It Sometimes works. even without a reference, you can you can look for a connection mm-hmm. through echoes or terminology. But here, it's like he just hands them to you. Yep. So why not yep. run with it? I, yep. I'm i in full agreement. I, I absolutely love that. Yep. That's really great. One last thing. Oh, just the story. When I was growing up, I heard stories from my grandparents that my grandfather on my mother's side, when he would get a new suit... He would wear it around the house for three months before he'd wear it to church. And my mom would ask him why. And he'd say, well, I don't want to look too ostentatious. Because if someone who has less, he'd quote James and say, if someone who has less than me, I don't want them to feel put upon and lesser Hmm. than. I want them to feel welcome. And it was like, I mean, sometimes those simplicity standards in the holiness movement can get uh, silly and, 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 and... legalistic but to hear that story growing up for me to hear okay those old rules that maybe aren't as strict for me as they were for them are nevertheless had a logic that was rooted in humility and hospitality (laughs) and even parallel story my grandmother on the other side my father's mother remember her referring to a couple in her church they were so humble no matter who walked in the door they would welcome them (laughs) so she defined humility not as how they even carried themselves although that's a piece of it but how they interacted with others, how welcoming. So hospitality and humility were just two sides of one coin yep. for those old holiness folk. And I just think that's beautiful, and yep. I would love to recapture that. Yep. And this would be a great opportunity to lift that up. Definitely. So, Definitely. Whether one tells those stories or other stories yeah. that would fit yeah. that. And you have, of course, tons yeah. of great stories yeah. about how ridiculous hospitality rituals are in North America when you moved here. <laughs> that's story for one at a time. <laughs> I remember that when I like, first moved here. We're like, oh, you'd have us over, and you're like, hey, we need to have you back. You're like, it's okay. You don't have to pay us back. It doesn't work like that. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. Yeah, the reciprocity games that mm-hmm. we play. Yeah. yeah. We're still caught up in those. Those aren't just yeah. an ancient times thing. It's a no. human thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a fun passage. Yeah, well, thanks so much. Thanks, as always, to our listeners, and thanks especially to our production team, Todd and Eric, behind the scenes. Can't imagine doing this without them. Uh, Thanks to our patron saints who support the show. I don't see a cent to that. That's for the production team behind the scenes. I got a day job. Here's my boss right here on the show. Cheers. Not today. You're wearing your (laughs) fellow prof hat, right? Yeah, and thanks. uh, If you want to become a patron of the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh text and see ways you can support the show and get some extra content. With that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.